You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are glad that you're here. So let me begin. So several years ago, many years ago, this is back before we had kids and I had hair. So it's been a while, but uh, I was, I had the day off. My wife was working and I decided that I was going to cook her dinner. And I thought if I'm going to cook her dinner, why don't I make my favorite meal? which is rice, black beans, and steak. I don't, still don't think there's a meal that's better. But anyway, so I called my mom to ask her how to make black beans because I had never made beans before. So she says, you know, do you have this and this and this ingredient? And it turns out I had just about everything. And so then she explains to me, the first thing you got to do, she explains to me the inner workings of making this thing called sofrito. So I got to get my sofrito and all that. She's like, this is how long you got to keep the beans in the pressure cooker. You got to soak the beans, this and that, and all the rest. And then as she's telling me all this, she stops and she says, Rodrigo, that's another conversation. But anyway, she says, Rodrigo, are you writing all this down? And I said, don't worry, I got it memorized. And so anyway, so I get like a pretty rockin' sofrito going soak my beans, put them in the pressure cooker, and then I sit down to watch a movie. And I don't know, you know, sometimes you just kind of have the house to yourself. You don't usually have the house to yourself. So I I decide I'm going to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's the movie I'm going to watch. And uh, if you haven't seen that movie, now you came to church, you've just been given homework. And so anyway, so I sit down to watch the movie and and, and, you know, there's a sound that that the pressure cooker makes when it's making, it has this sound that goes like this like that. That is the sound of my childhood. All right. Beans are being made every day in my home. And so, uh, so that's, so, and, and, and uh, to this day, my mom had said something about that sound and that there, it was this moment when I needed to do something I, to this day. I still don't remember what it was, even though I said I had it memorized. Anyway, so I'm watching the movie and I get, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour into the movie. You know, that scene, uh, when Indy, is running from that giant boulder. And he's in the jungle, he's running from the giant boulder, jump, anyway, and he's got that little statue thing. And so I'm watching that, and as I'm watching it, I hear this explosion, and I'm thinking to myself, dude, my TV sounds amazing. <laughs> like this, I don't have 5.1, but who needs it? I mean, this is just intense, you know? And then after I, heard that, after I heard the boom came the worst smell. And I can't, and if you know anything about me, my nose only exists to hold up my glasses. I can't smell anything. And I smelled, this was the worst smell I had ever smelled. And so I stopped the movie and I go into the kitchen and the pressure cooker had exploded. Now you're saying, how much pressure does a pressure cooker need? Uh, great question, no idea but the pressure cooker exploded. There were beans on the floor, so you can imagine. There were beans on the walls of the kitchen. There were beans stuck to the popcorn ceiling. You ever try to clean a popcorn ceiling? Good luck. And, and I called my wife because I'm not, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do in a situation like this. I mean, I need like a hazmat team. And so I call my wife and I'm like, 
listen to me. And I tell her the, the whole story that I just told you. What I didn't know is that she had put me on speakerphone. So her whole office is laughing at me. And these are people that we work with. And so anyway, so they're all laughing at me. And so I don't know what I'm going to do. So the only thing that I knew, this is the one piece of information I knew about popcorn ceiling is that you can, you can, if you have blemishes in your popcorn ceiling, you can use toothpaste to kind of cover the blemish. So half a tube of toothpaste later, I'm covering that situation. My wife comes home and she's like, no. Anyway, we just moved. That was our answer to it. We were like, hey, you know what? We're out. So that was it. So now, there's the, the reality is, is that, there, listen, there's always consequences, right? There's always consequences when we don't obey the voice that's giving us instructions. Something always has this tendency to blow up. And that's true when we're cooking. That's definitely true in our lives. And here's what I know to be absolutely true is that if every single one of us stood in a line and walked up, we would all have a story or two or 10 to tell of the time that we ignored the warnings that were given to us. And here is the reality is that warnings, have you noticed this, that warnings are never given for the benefit of the person giving the warning? Warnings are always given for the person receiving it. And that's true in our lives. And it's absolutely true in our walk with God. God is not giving us warnings for his benefit. He's giving us warnings for our benefit. And that is one of the themes in the book of Hebrews that we started working our way through a couple of weeks ago. Now, if you aren't aware, Hebrews is probably the meatiest and most theologically dense book in the New Testament. It's why I waited 20 years to teach it. And what I love about this book is that we can relate in many ways to the people that were receiving it. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were living in Rome at the time and were going through a really difficult season. And throughout the book, they're answering a question. And the question is, the, the writer's answering this question that the, that the people have, and that is, if God loves me, why is life so hard? And so what, what he does in a very eloquent way is he encourages them to do the one thing that's going to help when you're going through a season of difficulty, and that is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And he says it in a whole bunch of different ways, and he says it in very clever ways and, uh, and all of that, because the biggest challenge that we face uh, when we're in a difficult season is to drift from our faith, or if we don't drift from our faith, we stop believing that God has a plan for us in the midst of our difficulty. And that's why the writer of Hebrews gives us these warnings uh, about these very times in which we live. And so there's six warnings in Hebrews, if you're aware. And last week we looked at uh, the first one. And today we're going to look at the second one. The, the first warning that we looked at was about, we called the danger of drifting. And so we talked about how most people don't just stop walking with God. It happens gradually. And one of the things that we said was that the greatest enemy to our faith isn't some outside force. In fact, the greatest enemy to our faith is an apathetic version of ourselves. But this warning is just as dangerous. It's a warning against unbelief where God tells us not to go down a certain road and we ignore the warning because either we think we know better or we have a special set of circumstances that opts us out from the thing that God is leading us to do. And so here's why this is so vital for your life and mine right now in 2020 is because everything that you're praying and hoping and working for is on the other side of trust. And unbelief 
will rob us of trust and begin to elevate our circumstances above who God is. Now, here's the thing that's so important for us, is that the life that you're seeking, the... Whenever I call her, she doesn't listen. But I say, you're seeking, and now she thinks I'm talking to her. This is why, this is why I like the NSA. They're the only branch of the government that listens to me. So anyway, where was I? Something about beans, right? That's where I was. So, but here's the reality, is that the life that you are seeking and the joy that you're desiring and the blessing that you're praying for is never found through half-hearted belief. It's found in trusting Jesus, focusing on Jesus, no matter the circumstance. And so, because what can happen is, and, and, and sometimes, I, I, let me say this, because we either think like, oh man, I'm full of faith or I don't have faith. Listen, most of us kind of, we kind of vacillate uh, in, somewhere in between. We're, we're like that that Roman soldier that came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That we find ourselves kind of like a mixed bag of bold faith and then kind of wanting to trust God a little bit more. And so what we're going to talk about is, is some of what faith is, but how do we build belief in our lives? And so we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3. So if you have your outline, if you're looking on the screen, if you get the Calvary app open, as long as your eyes aren't closed, you're going to see the text. So we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone but he who builds all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing in the hope firm to the end. Now if you pause there and give me your attention. First thing I want to talk about when it comes to belief is this, is that the foundation of belief the foundation of belief is changing my thinking. That means that you and I trusted in something at some point of time, and then we decided to put our faith and trust in the person of Jesus. And that's why the writer makes this contrast between Jesus and Moses. Now, he brings up Moses because he was the most revered figure in Jewish history. Moses was the lawgiver. Moses was the deliverer from slavery in Egypt. Moses was the one that God saved as an infant. And then we read at the end of his life in Deuteronomy 34, it says that God buried Moses. And in between his miraculous saving at birth and his very special burial is a lifetime of miracles faithful service to God and delivering the law of God to the people. There was no greater human being in the eyes of the Jewish nation than Moses. So I want you to track with me because I want to give you a little bit of a 35,000 view of the book for a minute and the argument that the writer of the book is making. He opens the book, if you were here when we started, and he says this, that God, who in previous times and various ways has spoken to us through the prophets. 
And these last days has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things. And that is this. God spoke through, through the prophets. That's good, but Jesus is better. Then he talks about angels, that angels are ministering spirits to those who would inherit salvation. That's you and me. And then, but he talks about that whole thing, but he, to none of the angels did he ever say, today you, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So he's saying, not, not just is Jesus better than the prophets, but Jesus is even superior than the angels who were very revered because they were considered to be the people that delivered the word of God to the people. And now he comes to Moses and he says, hey, Moses was faithful in all of his house. But God is the one who built the house and Jesus is the one who owns the house. And so Jesus is even greater than Moses. And the challenge is, and he's making this argument because they have this temptation to say, man, we're walking with Jesus, but life is so difficult. Maybe we just kind of go back and, and kind of go do the, the thing that we did before, the thing that we once knew. And this idea of going back to the old life, the old way, and that somehow it's going to be easier than the Jesus way because the challenge is it's not going to get me where it is that I ultimately want to go. Once again, for these Jewish Christians, it was going back to their religious background. For us, it's a little bit different. For us, it's kind of going back to an old way of thinking. It's an old pattern of living and making decisions, the way we viewed right and wrong. And I, I don't know if you've found this, but listen, I've been a Christian. Um, I became a Christian at 19. And I look back and I realize that like so much of what I thought I knew about life was nonsense. Because you start walking with God and you start gaining wisdom. You start making better choices. You start seeing what God does when you trust him. And everything starts to change. And then you kind of look back at the old patterns. That, like, I just could never go back to living that way again. And, and here's kind of what it's like. A few years ago, uh, our family, we went out to dinner. And the restaurant that we went to, it was one of these restaurants. And this is not uncommon. But they have like this couch on one side and then like just chairs on the other. And so the kids were younger um, Mia's 13 now, but she was only seven at the time. Xander was four and Livy was one. So we had Livy in the high chair and then Xander and Mia wanted to sit on the little couches. And so I said, that's fine. So Carrie and I sat on the chairs. So we order uh, our food and, you know, beverages and all that. And then the, uh, the drinks come out. And one of the things that I noticed, and I'm like, Sam, what are you chewing? He's like, oh, I'm chewing bubble gum. And I'm like, when did you, when did you get, where did you get bubble gum? I'm not even there yet. <laughs> and the answer is yes. You know where I'm going, and the answer is yes. So I say, where did you get the bubble gum? He goes, oh, I just stuck my hand in the couch, and I found the bubble gum. And right there, that's when my wife started screaming. And, um, and see, there's this weird thing when you have children, right? When you have children, you think, wow, I've got to teach this. I mean, I've got to teach them everything, like except for breathing. I've got to teach them everything. And then, but you don't really think you got to teach them everything, right? And then, and I had to have a conversation with my son that day about ABC gum. <laughs> and so, and, and, and once again, for those of you who just got here from Cuba, let me explain that. Um, ABC gum means already been chewed. And so I'm like, you know, we don't do already been chewed gum. We just go fresh or none. Like that's kind of where we're at. And so, and I, and I, and, and listen, it was just like a really, tense moment of parenting right there. And I told Carrie that day, I'm like, listen, you give them as many vitamins and probiotics as you want, but this is the kind of stuff that gives a child an indestructible immune system, <laughs> FYI. And so, 
Now, you can survive ABC gum from a couch, from a restaurant. I mean, like, listen, you know, you can probably survive a nuclear blast. Um, so anyway, although I wouldn't test that theory. It's, now, but here's the point, is that all the stuff that we used to think, right? And this is what I look back in my, my life before coming to know Jesus. I look back at so many of the decisions that I made, even the things that I thought about life, and I'm like, it is the equivalent of chewing ABC gum. Uh, it is just like, I, what in the world was I even thinking? I mean, you think about how we thought about relationships, total mess. Think about how, what we pursued thinking it was going to make us happy or bring us joy. And it's like, now we look back and like, of course we weren't happy. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, think about the, our emotional reactions to things. I mean, we were angry, depressed, hostile, worried out of our minds, not a fun situation. And then here's what happens. We open our hearts to Jesus and it changes the game. And it's amazing what happens uh, in the book of Romans, Paul, who I believe to be the writer of Hebrews as well, he says it this way. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When it, when it says, be, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that the, the Greek word there that we translate to uh, transformed is the Greek word metamorphomai, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. And so the idea is like a literal transformation. And it's when we stop thinking we have all the answers, we stop thinking that we got it figured out, and we embrace the Jesus way. And when we embrace his way, listen, we change our thinking, it changes our habits, and changed habits over time produce amazing transformations. And so listen, God wants to change your life. He really does. He wants to change your life more than you want to change. And sometimes, listen, it's not instantaneous. But you begin changing things, and things eventually change. And you find that what you've been seeking, you're going to find it, but we never find it going backwards to who we used to be. And that's what the writer is saying. Listen, Moses was a faithful guy, but you're not going to find the promises that Jesus has for you by going backwards. He, he's going to make the point even farther in, in verse 7, and this is where the actual second warning is. It says this in verse 7. He says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If you pause there and give me your attention. So we said the foundation of belief is changing your thinking. The second thing is this, is that the observation of belief, that is what people see, is obeying God's voice. The passage that shows us, this passage shows us that it's completely possible to experience miracles in your life and still not trust God. The 
passage, he says, you know, as the Holy Spirit says, when he says, as it's written, that is a quote from Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95 is a song that's written about the children of Israel traveling from Egypt to the promised land after being freed. It's a wonderful, it's a, it's a wonderful psalm, and it's this beautiful song about in, this invitation to trust God and not be like those who saw miracles but didn't trust God even though they had seen these amazing wonders. And this is why when we talk about faith, we have to understand that, uh, and this is an important thing, having faith doesn't make something true, all right? You can have faith in something that's wrong. And that, once again, something being true is what makes it true. Christianity isn't true because we have faith in it. Christianity is true because the resurrection is a fact of history. And because that happened, everything else about Christianity is true. And our faith in Jesus is true because of that. So faith as a response to something that's true is seen in how we live our lives. And here's the thing, is that if everything that God has told us is true, then we can be sure that if he's telling us something now, that we can trust it. Now, I contrast that to how I am with my kids sometimes. And I love, if you've been to Calvary for any length of time, you'll, you'll know that I love telling stories. And I tell even more stories at home. And some of them I just totally make up. And so I was telling my kids the other day about when I was in a biker gang um, in Kathmandu. I was telling them that story. And my kids were like, Kathmandu is not a real place. And I'm like, it actually is. We're going to have to work on homeschool a little harder. Um, and so... But anyway, so um, I also told them it was, uh, it was in a biker gang in Kathmandu and I was covered in tattoos. And, uh, and they're like, well, how did you get them? Anyway, so it was about this 24-hour surgical procedure where I all got them removed all at once. I just took it too far and then they stopped believing me. So anyway, but once again, what I'll do is, is that I just, I love messing with my kids. And, and then my wife says, she's like, kids, only believe 50% of what your dad says. That's a common saying in our house. But my response is, yeah, but which 50% do you believe? You have no idea. So just to keep you on your toes. So anyway, now I tell you that because Thursday morning I woke up just because weird things happened to me. I woke up in the morning. The first thing I do in the morning, I don't know what you do. The first thing I do is I turn on my espresso machine and I make myself two shots of espresso. So I'm turning on the espresso machine. I open the blinds to my kitchen, which overlooks uh, our, our backyard. And there is a hawk in our backyard. I didn't say a bird. I didn't say a pigeon, blue jay, or cardinal. Those are all the birds I know because of baseball teams. And uh, so, so um, I also know Orioles as well. And so, and if there's a baseball team called a Met, then I know that one too. And uh, so anyway, what happens is there is a hawk in my backyard and it is molting, so there's feathers uh, everywhere. Like, it is sitting on a pile of feathers. And so, I don't know, I, I look at that and I'm like, I cannot deal with this. I'm gonna drink these two shots of espresso, and then I'm gonna deal with why a hawk has landed in my backyard. So anyway, I drink my coffee, I turn off the alarm, and I decide that I'm gonna confront the hawk. So I turn off the alarm. My wife comes out. My wife takes a picture of the hawk. She's like, I can't believe this. How does this weird stuff happen to us? And I said, because the people at Calvary like hearing stories like this. That's why. <laughs> the bottom line is blame them. So anyway, it's not me. So anyway, so anyway. 
I say, I'm going to go, I'm going to confront this hawk. So um, I walk outside and I'm like, I need something, some kind of weapon. So there's a ba- I grab a basketball. Now, I, I, looking back, I don't know what kind of choice this is for like, what are we going to play one-on-one? And uh, anyway, so I walk back there and I do like, hey, and uh, the hawk sees me and just the menacing kind of persona that I have. It's so freaked out. It flies away and my neighbor has a screened in pool. It runs into the screen. That's how nervous he was of me, terrified. Does not want to get into a scrap with this. And so just takes off. So anyway, then spun the basketball a little bit like my work here is done. So anyway, but that's not really a great story. At least not one for my kids. So Thursday, uh, then I go to church. Uh, I'm here all day. I come home, start cooking dinner. And I tell them, all the kids are around. And I'm like, guys, there was a situation this morning that I feel like I need to inform you about. There was a hawk in our backyard. And the, it, went, it went kind of back and forth but there was an altercation. The hawk and I fought to the death. He was a skilled warrior, but as you know, I have the agility of a cheetah. And just, I mean, just by looking at me, you'd probably be like, yeah, that sounds about right. And, um, and they were like, that's not true. And I'm like, really? Why don't you look in the backyard and see if there isn't a pile of feathers of when the demise of this hawk took place? Your mom has a picture of the hawk. And they're like, is that real? She's like, yeah, I have a picture of the hawk. Are there feathers in the backyard? She's like, well, there's, yeah, there's feathers in the backyard. And, th- and before my wife could, could start telling the truth, I interjected. And I said, that is where the battle of wills took place. And I gra- that hawk came at me. And with its claw, tried to gouge out my eyes. And that's when I body slammed him and saved our family. You're welcome. And, and I knew... I knew once I said the gouging thing, I had gone too far because I had them going for quite a while. And then they were like, no, no, you didn't body slam anything. And, and, and so anyway, and then even after I, I started piecing together, it didn't work. And so, and sometimes I'll tell them true things and they're, they're suspicious. I was telling my daughter this week, my daughter Livy, I was telling her a story about how I used to run a college. Because I did, I ran a college for four and a half years before coming and starting Calvary. And she's like, oh no. We're not falling for that trick. We heard about your grades in high school. <laughs> and I'm like, and then Carrie was like, no, no, Livy, it's okay. He actually did run a college. And she was like, oh, well, well, good for you, dad. And I'm like, dang, that's why I have low self-esteem. And so now there's a point to this. The heart of the issue that the writer of Hebrews is making is that God is worthy of your trust because he is never messing with you. He's never messing with you. He's never failed you. And because of that, our response should be real faith. And real faith is visible. And real faith fundamentally changes my actions. That's why verse 8, he says this when he quotes Psalm 95. Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Now, here's the cool thing. This isn't just like in the day of rebellion someday. Um, Because it's Psalm 95, Psalm 95, uh, uh, like all of the Hebrew scriptures written in Hebrew. That term rebellion in Hebrew is this word Meribah, which refers to a very specific story in the book of Exodus. The children of Israel 
had left Egypt, which means they had just seen 10 plagues that, that tormented the Egyptians but didn't bother them. They had just crossed the Red Sea. They had seen Pharaoh's army wiped out. They saw manna from heaven appear on the ground every morning to sustain them as they tra uh, traversed the land between Egypt and the Promised Land. They get to a town that's called Rephidim, which means rest. And that's going to mean a lot in our next message. So just kind of, you know, keep that one in the rotisserie for a little while. And so now, and they get to Rephidim, the city that means rest, and they start complaining that they're thirsty. But thirst wasn't the problem. They start complaining that they're thirsty, and then they start interpreting their current situation through a lens of unbelief. And they say, Moses, God brought us out here to kill us. You see, they still didn't believe. They just thought God was messing with them after everything that they had seen. And that it is completely possible to witness miracle after miracle in your life and still not trust God. Because at its core, that's what faith is. It's trust. And if you don't trust God, listen, you're not going to obey him. And if you don't obey him, you're never going to get to the place where he ultimately wants to take you. And that's the rub. That there's this place where we want God to take us. We all want peace and joy and blessing and purpose, but we're not sure we want to go God's way to get there because we think that there might be a shortcut to getting there. So let me explain it this way. Um, when the children of Israel left Egypt, there was a way that they could have gone. Let me show you this map. So there's two ways out of Egypt. There is this way, if you see kind of this purple line, this is called, and this, this road exists to this day. I've driven on this road. Um, it's called the Via Maris. It means the way by the sea. And so the Via Maris would have taken them from Egypt to the land of promise in two weeks. Instead, they go a different way. They cross the Red Sea and they pick up this red uh, road that is called the King's Highway. And I've been on the King's Highway. And by the way, uh, it wasn't paved in 1450 BC and it still ain't paved today. So just FYI, it, that was a bumpy ride. And so, but I took it all the way from a city right here uh, by the Red Sea called Elat all the way up to uh, just north of Jer uh, Jerusalem, uh, right by Jericho. And so anyway, this road, this route when they went, took them two years to get to the edge of the promised land before they crossed over. And then when they got to the very edge of the promised land after two years, they still didn't believe. Now the question is, why? The good news is we don't have to wonder because the book of Exodus tells us the answer. And you'll see it in Exodus chapter 13. It says this, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, that is the Via Maris, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Listen, there was a shortcut to the promised land and God didn't take them through it. And here's why. is because two weeks was not enough time to get them ready for the promised land. God had taken them out of Egypt, but they needed some time to get Egypt out of them. And they needed to experience God 
providing them because taking the promised land and fighting those battles was going to be the biggest challenge of their lives. So God had to prepare them. They needed to experience God providing for them. They needed to see God part the sea and deposit Pharaoh's army in there. They needed to see manna show up every day. They needed to see water come from a rock and provide for their thirst. They needed to see God lead them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They needed to win a few battles on the way to the promised land so that when they finally got there, they believed that God would fight for them. Because listen, God isn't messing with you. He's preparing you for future victories. And I know what happens. Sometimes we look on at other people and think, I think they got to take the two-week shortcut. The truth is we don't even know if that's true because sometimes we look at somebody else's highlight reel and compare it to our own backstory. God is doing a work in you to get you ready for your promised land, but you only get there through a heart of belief, knowing that he's for you. And when you can just say with your whole heart that I trust him, believe him, that he's not messing with me, you're gonna get there. Well, last thing, verse 16 then we're done. He says, for who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not, they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And if you pause there, here's the last thing I want to tell you, and that is the reward of belief is fulfilled promises. Now, we're going to drill down on this when we get into chapter four next week and talk about this idea of rest and all of that, but there's a mistake that people make when they read the story of the children of Israel, and we think, well, they didn't get into the land of promise because they complained, or they didn't get into the land of promise because uh, they made mistakes, or because they murmured, or because uh, th this, no, no, no. Mistakes don't keep you from God's promises. And sometimes we get that wrong. And, and we think that, uh, let, me, let me just tell you something. Your mistakes aren't gonna keep you from God's promises. You're not that powerful. Um, you're not gonna make one decision that's gonna totally derail everything that God has for you in your life. Instead, listen, anyone who's trying, I mean, anyone that says, I wanna do something in my life that matters, I wanna trust God, step out in faith, uh, you're gonna get it wrong sometimes. That's just how it works. The person who never gets it wrong is the person who's, never, who's not trying. Instead, and, and some of us, if we're being honest, we've used that as an excuse and we've kind of been paralyzed by this idea of, well, I wanna step out and can I, but I don't wanna make a mistake. Th there's this passage that I love in Proverbs that Solomon writes, he says this, without oxen, a stable stays clean. That is, if you do nothing, nothing's ever going to get dirty. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. What that means is sometimes to do something great, you've got to make a mess. And you've got to get started and learn as you go. But listen, what, didn't, what kept them from God's promises wasn't mistakes. It was unbelief. They just didn't trust God. They looked at everything that God had done and said, you know what? I think he's messing with us. I think that this really isn't the truth. And see, listen, if you want a blessed life, the greatest skill that you can learn is to trust God. The most famous passage in Proverbs is Proverbs chapter three that says, trust 
in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That phrase, acknowledge, is, is this, this funny Hebrew word called yada, Y-A-D-A. It's used 900 times in the Old Testament, and here's what it refers to. It refers to knowing someone. And so that acknowledge God in all your ways could, could be translated like this, know God in all of your ways. Now, we all know what that's like because we've all been kids and we've all been out and we've all been asked, hey, you want to go do this? Ask your parents if you can go do this. And you would already answer them like, nope. Well, why not? No, my parents are going to say no. How do you know? You haven't asked them because I know my parents and I know what they say yes to and I know what they say no to. That's knowing your parents in all of your ways. Knowing God in all your ways is the same thing that through observation, you have learned who God is and how faithful he is to those that he loves. And you've learned to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. And listen, faith sometimes doesn't make sense on the front end. But there's this thing that you've also learned, that God has never been messing with you. God's never just told you a story. Every time he said something to you, he has been totally serious and he has always been totally faithful. And so the children of Israel stood on the border of the promised land and it describes, they describe what they saw as giants. And they missed out because they said, God has done all this for us, but he won't do that for us because he brought us here just to show us that he's messing with us. So instead of having faith that you're past and that things are never gonna happen, why not try something different? Why not trust in the God who loves you who has a plan for you and wants to bless you even more than you want to be blessed. That God isn't messing with you. That he wants to do good in your life if you'll trust him. And live in the belief of crossing the border into God's promises. That's certainly true in your marriage, right? That you stop living on the border of God's promises, you start stepping into the blessing that's waiting for you. And sometimes crossing the border means this. I'm not waiting for the other person in my marriage to change. I'm going to change and I'm going to watch God transform me because I know this, that he's going to be faithful to do what he's promised because I know he's not messing with me. A single person says, I'm going to pass on that guy or girl that isn't a Christian because I want someone that shares my faith as well. If this is the most important thing in my life, then I need someone who shares that as well. And not because I've got somebody else waiting in the wings, but because I have learned that God isn't messing with me. That if I trust him, he's going to bring the right person and it will be so much better than if I had just settled. In your career, goodness. So much is changing so much uncertainty for so many people. But that might mean that everything that you think that's happening to you is actually happening for you. You see, and that doesn't mean that there aren't things that make sense right now. Sometimes belief doesn't make sense in the moment. So about 10 years ago, we were a church meeting in Miami Lakes in a, uh, at a high school there. And principal called me and said, hey, you can't meet here anymore. This Sunday is going to be your last Sunday. And I, I, 
and now you gotta understand, we had an amazing relationship with the school, and we had done a whole bunch of things for the school, and we were, the teachers loved us and all this. And so one day the principal said it was over. I called the principal back. There was no changes, change in his mind. I called the mayor of the city, and I said, I need a personal favor. I need you to get in your car and drive over, talk to this principal for me. And uh, he said, sure, and he did. And he called me back, and he says, I just talked to him, and uh, you're out next week. And uh, so, And so we had just... We were meeting there. We had just started our uh, a second campus here in Miramar at Everglades, and I'm, and I'm now we're trying to find a place. The problem is we had been meeting in this movie theater, doing three services in the movie theater. We had moved to this high school because they had about a thousand seats in the auditorium, and so we were able to cut down on the services. And so uh, we're we're looking at all of this, and 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 I'm and I'm praying, and I'm like, God, why are you letting this happen? We're going. We're taking steps forward. We're trying to reach people, and and so we we. You know, we're trying to figure it out. We can't find another place to meet that's, that's large enough. And so I have this thought. And I said, what if, we, what if we just moved everything to Miramar? Like, what would that look like? And so we did. We just said, if God's closing the door here, that, that door's still open. So we said, what if we move everything to Miramar? And we get serious about finding a property and a place to call home. Someplace they can't kick us out of. Within six months, we found this property, and the rest is history. But here's the thing. I look back at that story, and there was a moment that I was praying, God, why are you doing this to me? And listen, somewhere, God was saying, Bob, I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this for you. And, I can, and I'm telling you that there are moments in our lives where we think, God, why are you doing this to me? And there is this whisper from heaven that God is trying to say to us, I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this for you because I love you and I want you to trust me. And here's my promise. I'm not messing with you. I'm not. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you that that is true, that what you tell us is true. And that work that you want to do in us is real. So God, help us. Help us to trust you. Help us to know you better. Know your voice. To know you in all of our ways. That we might experience everything that you have for us as we walk into our promised land. So God, do that work. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.